This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. The reading this morning is from Acts chapter 7, starting with verse 20 through 26. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have been spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Thanks, Bruce. One of the things that Lori and I are learning as uh, we live in Alaska is that as people come from outside, for those of you that don't understand Alaska speak, that means from outside Alaska. So in Alaska, we don't go outside like we go outdoors, but if we leave the state, we go outside, right, Kevin? Okay, I'm learning, I'm learning. So as we have people that come from outside, um, they want to, to do all the sightseeing things. And so we've been fortunate over the past almost two years now to have had several guests come and, and visit us. And uh, we get to travel around to various places uh, on the road system. And uh, people just marvel uh, at the beauty of Alaska. Uh, and, you know, it never gets old. Uh, in fact, as they marvel, as they look at all the wonders of this beautiful state that we live in, um, there's just something that happens inside. It's kind of like watching children unwrap a gift at Christmas time, right? It just does something for you, and it gives you a great appreciation uh, for our creation, uh, the Lord's creation, uh, all that surround us here in Alaska, and just for the joy that it brings to people as they look, and they're just awestruck. Um, you know, I was uh, up on Baldy on Tuesday with our friend Ron, and Ron at the top was just taking that panoramic view, and he was looking at all the, the mountain peaks, and he was just amazed at the beauty. And as I looked at it, I thought to myself about how our mountain peaks have so much character, uh, the the weathering that takes place, the influence of the the heat and the cold, you know, expansion, contraction, uh, the wind and the rain and the elements um, really create the profile of the beautiful mountains around us that really gives them shape and, and gives them character, doesn't it? And, and when I think of that, that weathering, I, I think of people that I admire. Uh, I think of people that uh, are large in stature, spiritually. In fact, when I'm around them, uh, I feel as if I'm dwarfed by their spiritual 
stature and uh, just the majesty of the Lord that's upon their lives. And these are people who, like our mountains here in Alaska, have character. And that character comes through weathering, uh, through, as we're going to read again in Scripture this morning, the storms of life, not the, the storm of nature, but the storms of life that come upon them. And in those storms that they are weathered, but as they are weathered, they are getting more deeply rooted in their faith. And uh, they exude a hope and a confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that only comes from having history, from having weathered some storms in life. And as you, as you look at how the Lord has spiritually chiseled them, okay, you look up to them. And you say, this person is a person that reflects the majesty of God. That they have endured life storms. And that they are strong in their faith. And there's something about them to be admired, right? To be looked up to. Something that you want to emulate. The good news is that those people are all around us. We have many in our church. And I'm so grateful because we need people like that, don't we? Uh, people like that give us hope. They give us encouragement. Uh, we look at their lives and, and as we think and reflect upon God's faithfulness in the storms that they have endured, we are reminded that God will be faithful in the storms that we will encounter as well. And so this morning... As we begin in Acts 27, we see the Apostle Paul uh, traveling by ship um, to Rome. Uh, he boards the ship there in Caesarea. He and several prisoners. Also, you'll notice as the passage begins in uh, Acts 27.1, uh, it's one of those what they call we passages. And uh, the author of the book of Acts, the good Dr. Luke, is traveling with him. And so it's, what, first-hand account of actually what happened. Uh, so when he says we, he's including himself. And it's entirely possible that on this ship that was filled with prisoners uh, and uh, crew, that uh, Luke came along and served perhaps as the doctor on the ship during this voyage. That, that might have been another purpose that he could have served. Some historians think that. But they're leaving now, and they're headed for Rome. And you might recall that Paul and Jerusalem had gone through a, a very difficult time. Uh, as a result of that, there were some Jews that had made accusation against him. He had to, to stand up to those accusations in front of the Roman authorities and, and through two uh, provincial governors and uh, through uh, a hearing, of course, with King Agrippa III. We talked about that last week. And although they determined that there was, uh, he had done nothing wrong, nothing deserving of imprisonment or death, that uh, because he was a Roman citizen and he requested a hearing before Caesar, uh, he was granted that, and now he's going to Rome. Okay, And so he boards the ship, and they begin their journey, and they're traveling along the coast of Asia Minor, which is now, we know, um, modern-day Turkey. And they're going to cross and go south of, of what we know today to be Greece, okay? And they get to a particular place, 
And uh, it is a time of the year. It's, it's after uh, the Day of Atonement, and that's Yom Kippur. And we know that's about uh, October, okay? And in this part of the world, sailing in the Mediterranean, um, especially in antiquity, um, if you were going to sail in September, that would be very, very iffy. No one would ever think of sailing in November, okay? And here they are in October, and they get to a place where Paul uh, speaks to uh, the Roman authority who's in charge of the prisoners. And he says, you know, we really ought to winter here and not go on in our trip. And uh, rather than listening to Paul, what happens? He listens to the owner of the ship and they decide to press on. And it's in that context that we, we find our, our passage today. And as they're pressing on, they encounter what's called a nor'easter. It's a, it's a great uh, storm. It's a hurricane-force hurricane winds. Uh, and it is so severe that even the crew and the, the, the hardened sailors who are used to sailing, they're fearful. And they get to a place where they're literally throwing everything overboard, all right, for fear they're going to sink. And it's then that Paul steps up and he gives them something that they desperately need. And it's something that each of us who are going through difficult times, through challenges, through adversities, if you will, through the storms of life, that we too desperately need. And that one thing is called hope. Paul gives them hope. Andy Crouch said this, Human beings can live for 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air, but we cannot live for four seconds without hope. In our passage today that we read, Acts 27, beginning in verse 20, it says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. And so the crew, the prisoners, Luke, speaking of we, uh, even I think here, uh, Paul, uh, they were worried. They had given up all hope of being saved. And yet, it's in the midst of that that God comes to Paul in a vi- or excuse me, an angel of the Lord sent by God comes to Paul in a vision. Uh, and in that vision, he wants to remind Paul that what the Lord had told Paul in Acts 23.11 was true. Now you might recall in Acts 23.11, uh, when Paul was in fear of his life, the Lord actually appeared to him in a vision. And the Lord said to Paul, take courage. As you testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And of course, they're on their way to Rome. But in the midst of the storm, do you think it's possible that that Paul, even Luke, those that were traveling with Paul, may have forgotten the promises of God? Has that ever happened to you? In the midst of life's storms? Uh, when we are being severely battered, when we are being weathered by the forces of life, right? Of circumstances, of difficulties. 
Are we inclined to forget God's promises? I know I am. It's during those times that, that I'm tempted um, to doubt, to fear, or if I remember God's promises, even to remember them in the sense of, God, I know you made these promises, but are they true? Can I count on you? Can I trust you? And so, the Apostle Paul needs to be reminded again. And we read about that because uh, in this great storm, when everybody had given up hope, Paul speaks to them in verse 21, and he says, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail to Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Now he's going to mention that word courage, because what does hope give us? Courage. And twice in this passage, in this one passage, he reminds them to take courage. And isn't that interesting? Weren't those the very words that the Lord himself spoke to Paul back in Acts 23, 11? He says, take courage, for you must go to Rome and testify. And so here, Paul, being bolstered by a vision that the Lord, through an angel, gave him, is going to remind them that they need to take courage. And so he goes on. He says, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Verse 23, Last night an angel of God whose I am and who I serve stood beside me. You know, that's really key there in that verse. People who know that they belong to the Lord. They're confident of that. I know that I belong to God. And it's God whom I serve. People that that have that confidence are people that have courage. They're people who have hope. They're people who can have certainty in the midst of uncertainty. And yes, there are times when the Lord needs to remind us of His promises. In fact, I I think it's kind of uh, ironic here that even the great Apostle Paul apparently had wavered in his courage. Because even though in Acts 23, 11, uh, the Lord had reminded him that, take courage, you're going to make it to Rome, you're going to testify to me. So we, we see Paul earlier in Acts 27, uh, when he's trying to convince uh, the Roman officer who's in charge of the ship and the ship's owner that they shouldn't sail, what does he say? I fear if we go on, we're going to go on at great loss and the loss of our lives. Now, why would he say that? The Lord had told him earlier that he was going to make it. And yet, in the midst of the circumstances, uh, when the threat was imminent, when the challenge, the winds were blowing hard, he'd forgotten that. And what does he say? I, I fear that we're going to go at the loss of of the ship and our lives. And so he has to be reminded again. You know, I'm glad for that. Aren't you glad that people in Scripture are human like us? Aren't you glad for that? I mean, here's the great apostle, the great evangelist. And even he needed to be reminded. But he was. And so, as he gives hope, to those that he is sailing with. He affirms his own position in God. I belong to God, and it is God that I serve. 
Psalm 43, 2 says this, and I, I think of this verse, excuse me, not Psalm, Isaiah 43, 2. And I think of this verse in this situation with Paul and his cohort. The verse reads, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And uh, what a reminder. Uh, what an encouragement. And, and I'm certain that it was the encouragement of the Lord in this situation uh, that allowed the Apostle Paul to have that hope, to have that courage, and then to impart that with those he was traveling with. Amy Carmichael, in her um, uh, writings, says this, Everywhere the perpetual endeavor of the enemy of our souls is discouragement. Do you know that? Do you know the enemy of our souls wants to discourage us? And everywhere around us, the perpetual endeavor, the enemy of our souls, is discouragement. If he can get the soul under the weather, he wins. It is not really what we go through that matters. It is what we go under that breaks us. We can bear anything if only we are kept inwardly victorious. If God can make his birds to whistle in drenched in stormy darkness, if he can make his butterflies able to bear up under rain, what can he not do for the heart that trusts in him? Good words. Good words. Well, I know that as I'm sharing this, for some of us it's a very timely message. Because right now, there are some of us who are going through storms in life. We are being battered by the winds of life. We are being weathered right now. And there are some here, perhaps, that, that are like the crew with Paul, or even Paul himself, before the angel of the Lord came and, and gave him a vision to encourage him. Perhaps you're, you're on the edge of giving up hope. But you know what? I think this morning the Lord the Lord wants to tie your hope to his buoy. And when hope floats, when you're buoyed in the hope that only God can give, doubt begins to sink. Despair begins to sink. Fear begins to sink as hope remains buoyant. And, and I believe that for some of us here today, we need to hear that message. We need to hear the message that the, that the angel of the Lord spoke to the Apostle Paul. Don't be afraid. Take courage. You know, a major theme in the book of Acts and a major theme in this chapter is the sovereignty of God. We read in the book of Acts, all through it, that God is sovereign. Uh, he's sovereign over demons. He's sovereign over disease. He's sovereign over death. He's sovereign over the plots of sinful people. Um, he worked through His sovereignty even in the plots to kill the Apostle Paul. Right? Those sinful plots to kill Paul. God was sovereign even in that. And now we're going to see that God is sovereign over nature. 
And God is sovereign over the mistakes and foolishness and the foolish mistaken plans of people. Just as the the Roman uh, that was in charge of the prisoners and the owner of the ship, uh, they made foolish plans. They made plans to sail, even though it was a time of the year that it was dangerous. And yet, you know what? God is bigger than that. God is sovereign over their mistakes. And, and here's good news for you and me. God is sovereign over our mistakes. Did you know that? Isn't that good news? That when we make mistakes, right? God can work even in the midst of our mistakes. He can take them. He can redeem them. He can, he can use them for His purpose. Uh, when I think of the sovereignty of God, of course, I think of Romans 8.28. For God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Not all things are good, but He can work all things together for good. And the book of Acts is a testimony to that. This chapter is a a testimony to that. Graham Cook, in his book Embracing Change, writes this. God is consistent but he's also unpredictable. He is consistent in his nature. You always know where you are with God, but you seldom know what he is going to do next. You cannot find security in what God is doing. There is only security in who God is. Isn't that a good word? Because it's very easy for us amidst the storms of life when we're being battered and weathered to say, God, what are you doing? And we begin to doubt Him. And uh, here's the thing that's, that's sometimes difficult for us. That in the Christian life, we're not guaranteed that we won't encounter storms. I know some of us would like that, wouldn't we? Maybe some of us even came to faith in Christ thinking that, that somehow now that I'm following Jesus that life is going to be smooth and calm. I'm going to be immune to the storms of life that, that everyone else encounters. And sometimes we can think that. But here's the good news. Yes, God can calm the storm. Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, didn't He? He calmed the storm. But there are other times... In God's sovereignty, He chooses to allow the storm to rage. But He gives us calm in the midst of the storm. Do you see that? So whether He chooses to calm the storm or He chooses to give us calm or hope or courage in the midst of the storm, God remains sovereign. You see, my faith isn't in what God does. My faith is in who He is. That's my anchor. That's what... what. I want to, that's the boy that I want to hook my hope to. And who God is. And He's trustworthy. And so, weathering life storms. If you're in a storm today, I want to encourage you to weather the storm. Not to give up hope. To take courage. To trust in who God is. And I want to encourage you to weather the storm for three reasons. Are you ready? Number one, for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. 
that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are going to face adversities, we are going to face challenges that are directly related to our faith, to our commitment to Christ. And when we face those kinds of storms, I want to encourage you to weather them for the sake of the gospel. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, Paul's writing this, right, under house arrest in Rome. And he's writing to the church at Philippi, which he helped plant. And he's saying, you know what, I want to remind you that all the things that have happened to me have actually served to advance the gospel. And he had that in mind. And so should we that we should be willing to stand firm and to weather the storm for the sake of the gospel. The second reason is for the sake of others. For the sake of others. Do you know that when you and I weather the storm, or when we stand firm in our faith in the midst of the storm, do you know that that gives hope to other people? Don't you know that? Don't you know that the Apostle Paul speaking the words that the angel gave him that the Lord had given him earlier to the crew to take courage, not to lose hope, telling them that not one of them would be lost because he had to fulfill the purpose that God had called him to and he was sure of who he belonged to and who he served. Don't you think that that gave others hope? Especially those that were followers of Jesus who were fearing for their lives. But what about those that didn't know Jesus? Don't you think that was a powerful testimony and witness to the power of God in a person's life? I love 2 Corinthians because it's one of the most personal letters that that Paul writes in the New Testament because in it, he speaks of all the difficulties, all the hardships, all the challenges that he faced and he says, these really are the mark that I'm a true follower of Jesus. That I've faced these things and remained faithful to him. Not in my own strength, but in the strength that God has given me. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, he writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We endure the storms of life for the sake of others. That's what grief share is all about. Susan shared that with you this morning. That in the adversity of her own grief, of her own loss, now she's standing before you giving you hope. She's giving you comfort. Why? Because that's the comfort that she received from Christ Himself. And now, she is a dispenser of that same hope and that same comfort. And so, Susan has not wasted her sorrow. And God is redeeming it. And now she is a dispenser of that hope and comfort that God has given her. And that's how God wants us to be. And so we endure life storms for the sake of the gospel, but for the sake of others. And then finally, we endure the storms of life for our own sake. For our own sake. Because it's in the storms of life 
that we encounter God in a way that we can't when the seas of life are calm. Um, it's in the storms of life that, that we know that God is God. It's in the storms of life. It's when we are tempted to give up all hope. When we look to Him and we recognize that it is God and God alone who can sustain us, who can deliver us, who can save us. It's during those times, through the weathering of life, that our character is shaped and formed. It's in those times that we encounter the grace of God in a way that one can't encounter it otherwise. I love what Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9-10. through You might recall Paul was given a thorn in the flesh three times. He entreated the Lord, remove this from me. And that word entreat in the Greek is the most severest form of crying out. I mean, it's like just from the, just from the gut, from the belly, from the inner person. Oh God, take this from me. Okay? And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, the Lord says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, Paul writes, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Are you ready? For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's God's promise to us. That when we're weak, it's then that we're strong. For Christ's perfect power is perfected in our weakness. You ever heard of biosphere? There was biosphere one and biosphere two. It was a scientific experiment in in which they created, if you will, this this enclosed, encased environment that was in this dome. And they wanted to create this environment and people lived in it. It was supposed to be just perfect. But something happened in Biosphere 2 that people were amazed by. Amidst the, the perfection of this controlled environment, they noticed all the trees were dying. And they couldn't figure out why. They didn't know what was going on. And then they discovered this. That it was the absence of the nearly constant invariable action of the wind upon their trunks and branches that caused them to fail to grow the stress wood that would help them stand strong. Without the stress of the wind during their development, they couldn't support their mature mass. Biosphere 2 might not have been a particularly successful experiment, but at least we can take a bit of wisdom away from it all. That stresses endured in youth provide strength to hold yourself up as an adult. You see, without the forces of the wind, the trees couldn't develop the strength to hold themselves up in maturity. In fact, it's when the wind blows that the trees develop deep, deep roots that keep them grounded, that allow them to weather the storm. And so it is in life. 
that as we encounter the forces of life, the weathering upon our lives, God uses those in a way that only He can to deepen our roots of faith, to grow us up, to make us mature in our stature, that we can stand firm as mature followers of Jesus Christ. We see that in in Acts 27. And my prayer is that we would see that in our own lives. That today, that you would take hope. And the only one who can give hope. Today, in your weakness, you would encounter the perfect power and strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. His love for you and me, demonstrated by His sacrifice on the cross and God's great power to raise Him from the dead, that we might have, what? Forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life. God demonstrates His love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as we come to this table this morning, this is a table of hope. Jesus, taking bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he said to his disciples that this is my body which is broken for you. As often as you eat this, eat this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup and he poured it out and he said, this is a cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. As often as you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. So that whenever we take the bread and drink the cup, we declare Christ's death until he comes again. This morning, I invite you to come to the table. This table is open to anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. And this morning as we come, my prayer is that we come to the table as a table of hope that we would come to the table and we would receive courage and strength, that we would know that in our weakness we are made strong. For Christ's power is perfected in our weakness, and Christ's power is demonstrated in the resurrection. And it's in that that we place our hope.